Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 543, 54321 of the DBR podcast. This is Jason Evans. I'm your host this week. I am joined by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Sam, I'm going to come to you first. Dude, good to have you with us. Uh, great to be here, as always. Uh, good afternoon. It's Monday afternoon, so good afternoon. Uh, Duke is on the cusp of bowl eligibility, and we're not even talking about it like it's bowl eligibility, and it's countdown to craziness this Friday. Yeah, huge week. Huge week coming up for Blue Devil sports fans. It's going to be awesome. Donald Wine, Donald, looks like you're in a hotel room again. Where are you this week? I am in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm here for the uh, USA Ghana game. That's tomorrow night. I was at Hartford over the weekend, but I got a comment. I know the, the listeners can't see this, but but Sam, just a minute ago, you look like you had like the black background behind you. It was very cool. It was like a it's like a movie set uh, when you when you had leaned in and couldn't see the anything but pitch black behind you. It was a very cool setup. The uh, I I don't know I don't know what it is. The lighting in here must be must be uh, particularly fascinating. But it no, is spot I, on. I have done I have done nothing special today. You know, when we're we're looking at each other on Zoom, everyone's listening to us. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah, but anyway. All right, gentlemen, we got a little bit of basketball news we're going to get to first. Believe me, we're going to talk about that game against NC State in football as the Blue Devils run their record to five and one. But before we get to that, hoops news. And the hoops news is the rankings, both the Associated Press and our man, Ken Pomeroy, friend of the podcast. We probably should have interviewed Ken again this year. I don't know why we didn't. Anyway, we interviewed Ken last year. Great episode. Go back in the archives. You can find it. <laughs> Ken Pomeroy has released his rankings, and the Associated Press writers have also re released their rankings. I'll start with the AP. The AP says Duke is number two, second best team in the country behind only Kansas. Ken Pomeroy, he says Duke is number nine. <laughs> Guys. I want to break this down into two different places. I want to first discuss the Blue Devils, and then I want to discuss the ACC. Because the ACC is not well represented in either of these polls. But let me start with Duke. And I'm going to give you a couple stats first before we get to you guys talking about the fact that we're ranked number two. Uh, the, you know, I get the press releases from Duke. Duke was primed. They were ready for this ranking of number two in the country in the preseason poll. They have informed me that this is the 16th. 16th consecutive season in which the Blue Devils have been ranked inside the top 10 in the preseason poll, in the initial poll. Duke also extends a ridiculous streak, an absurd streak of being ranked in the top 10 at any point in the season. Do you know how many years it's been, guys? Anyone? 37. No, 28. 37 would be crazy. 28 is also pretty crazy. 28 consecutive seasons that Duke has been ranked at some point in the top 10 in that year it's it's just 1995 was a tough year uh, again sorry 1995 was a tough year for duke fans was good math excellent uh the, the next closest program by the way behind duke at, at, at 28 years kansas has been ranked in the top 10 in 18 straight seasons but they got a ways to go to catch the blue devils because it looks like we're going to be in the top 10 for a long time to come by the way this is the first time that duke is in the top three in the preseason poll since the 2017-18 season, remember Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, Gary Trent, Trevon Duval, Grayson Allen, remember those guys? Those guys were part of the last Blue Devil team to be ranked in the top three in the preseason poll. Kind of hard, you know, I, I look back and like the Zion team, the Paulo team, I'm like, really? This guys were I thought the Zion team, the 2019 team was, I think, ranked four. 
But then we right. beat we, – we had that game against Kentucky, and we were number one the next week. Right, but we started the season number four. And 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 the challenge with all of this is always that the – you know, I, I, we'll, we'll talk about this with, with Ken Palm, but it's always hard to evaluate – when we say, oh, Duke has a great freshman class coming in, does that mean Duke has a great freshman class that means that Duke is like a top 10 team or that Duke is like the number three team in the country? Uh, and there is a, you know, there isn't actually much of a difference between the number three team and the number 10 team early in the season. You basically can't tell. But uh, that's, I think, what we're going to be parsing between the AP poll and and the Ken Palm metrics. Yeah. And actually, you know, this is not as great a class. There's no one in this class that looks to be a, you know, a lock lottery talent the way Duke usually has in terms of freshmen. This is a ranking, this number two ranking in the AP poll is really based on Duke's returning players who are tremendously impressive. Donald, I'll go to you first. Give me your take on either Ken Palm or AP, Duke number two and one, number nine in the other. I, I think it's interesting that there's, I mean, a slight difference between the AP poll and Ken Palm, I think in the case of Ken Palm, it's a little bit more surprising that we're ranked ninth, given that in previous years, when we had him on last year, he talked about sometimes how difficult it is to have his computers run Duke because we had so many guys leaving for the NBA. We had so many guys coming in and it was hard to kind of keep track of of stats, given that, you know, most of our stats were leaving to go to the NBA year after year after year. Well, this year we have most of our most of our players back. And we have some guys coming in that are obviously going to complement those returning starters. And I think it's a little bit interesting that we're ninth. But again, I, I don't look at it as a slight. I think it's something where, hey, we kind of underachieved in, or overachieved and underachieved in certain areas last year. And all of that kind of gets factored into this initial poll. And when you take Kim Palm's algorithm and you apply present day stats to it, it'll start to fluctuate and we'll get kind of a, a, a common sense, especially for us in these first couple of weeks of the season where we do have some pretty good games uh, in the, on the slate. We're going to have some of that shake out a little bit more as the season goes on. But I think for the AP poll, when you're looking at these teams, it's hard to kind of take these uh, and say, oh, yeah, it's definitive that, you know, it's very rare you have, oh, this is the definitive number one team, this is the definitive number, your top five team. But I think we're a really good team. And I'll say that because it's the Duke basketball roundup. It's not the Kansas basketball roundup. I don't care about Kansas. But I think at the end of the day, having this ranking shows that, hey, we have expectations. I've been saying that all summer about this team, that this is the first team for John Shire that is going to have expectations applied to it. These rankings just add to that, saying, hey, everyone thinks you're one of the top teams in the country. Everyone thinks that you're a potential Final Four team. Now it's time to go out and prove all these you know all these people who voted for you right and all these people who think that this team is going to be an elite team go out and prove them right and when you look at the rest of Ken Palm's top 10 and you look at the rest of the AP top 10 you can kind of see how Duke ends up not being you know at the very top according to the metrics early in the season because you know Duke overall last year in Ken Palm you know ended up like uh, I think somewhere in the teens as a result of a fairly rocky January. That yeah, we, we were, uh, Sam, we were number 18 in the final Ken Palm rankings. And it's worth noting that you're right about January, basically from the start of January all the way up until, until we whooped up on Oral Roberts in the NCAA tournament, Duke was ranked in the twenties, thirties, pretty much consistently the whole year. And so 
so Duke is last year is a good, not great team for all the season. Although there was that stretch where, where Duke was turning into a great team when, when guys were starting to get healthy, you lose a little bit of production between, um, you know, Derek Whitehead to some extent, but, but Derek Lively in a huge way was really anchoring the defense last year. So you take those guys off the team, you add a number of, of highly regarded prospects, but not the kind of highly regarded prospects that are going to meaningfully change the algorithm on Ken Palm's side. And then you also have to look because number nine is not in a vacuum. Number nine does not mean anything unless you are being compared to other programs and look at the rest of Ken Palm's top 10. Purdue brings back national player of the year. Kansas was great last year. Houston was great last year. Connecticut won the national championship. Like there are a lot of great teams bringing back a lot of experienced players this year in college basketball. I think the narrative you're going to hear on national college basketball coverage is, wow, isn't it great that we have this much continuity at the top of the sport? Not just that Duke is bringing back Kyle Filipowski and Jeremy Roach, but that all these other programs also have great players, Baylor, Gonzaga, Arizona, Duke gets to play, you know, Arizona early in the season. So Duke has opportunities uh, to, and, and against Kansas, Duke has opportunities to uh, to prove itself early, like Donald was saying. And so, in in the Ken Palm and and in the AP poll, you know, the AP poll Duke doesn't have doesn't have much to climb. Uh, they're already they're already up at number two. But in the Ken Palm, there is a lot of opportunities for Duke early in the season, at home and and in the neutral site, uh, to to improve that ranking. Duke also gets to play Baylor uh, in in December, so no shortage of opportunities. And I liked Donald what you said about how this is the first season where John Shire has expectations. I think last year going in, a lot of the narrative was, look, we think that, that Duke has recruited a pretty good class, highlighted in particular by Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead. Remember, we were not talking about Kyle Filipowski last year the way that we are talking about him this year. Last year was a year <laughs> where we were we were thinking like, okay, let's see what John Shire does with some of these pieces with Jeremy Roach returning uh, this year. I, I don't know how much I've I've shared this on the podcast or I've just been thinking it the last few weeks. I'm starting to get very excited about this Duke basketball team. Some of that might be just residual uh, glow from from the football team, but I feel <laughs> I feel very confident. And and you know you guys know that normally when we play the stats game, I'm going to hedge and you know say, oh, I don't know if Duke is going to win as much as you guys are talking about. Uh, you know. We don't know what kind of coach John Shire is. We don't know how they're going to deal with the adversity. I am coming in very uh, optimistic this season. I think that Duke is going to be uh, is going to be really hard to beat this year. Uh, we the the reports that we're getting from the team and the and the, the scrimmage video that we're getting all that sort of stuff makes me feel great about the direction of the team this year. And so, if I had to bet, Duke is going to go up in the Ken Palm rating over over the course of this season. Duke starting at number nine would not be surprised if Duke ends the season in Ken Palm ranked, you know, three, four, five, maybe even higher. So I'm I'm not sweating it at this point. Yeah. So one interesting thing I wanted to note about the Ken Palm rankings, uh, because you know, as you pointed out, Sam, we we were 18 last year and we go up to nine this year. Uh, even though it feels like you want to be like, wait, nine? I mean, every poll, every other poll has Duke in the top. And uh, it feels a little bit low, but it is interesting to note that a year ago, Ken Palm, his, you know, not his opinion, but his stats said the Duke was the number 40 offense. We were not good on offense a year ago, not for a Duke team, not for a team that thinks it should contend for for titles and banners and the such. 
Uh, this year in his preseason rankings, Ken Palm rates us as the seventh best offense in the. So he really expects that continuity. These guys returning Tyrese Proctor, Mark Mitchell, Kyle Filipowski becoming sophomores and Jeremy Roach coming back. He thinks that we are going to really elevate as a team on offense. And he thinks we'll be about the same, maybe a little bit worse on defense. Last year, we were number 19. We have talked endlessly about the impact of Derek Lively and how he was so great at protecting anything inside the inside the lane. Ken Palm this year says he expects Duke to be the number 22 defense. So from 19 to 22, not a big drop-off when you consider we're losing a truly elite, unbelievable rim, rim protector in Lively. And frankly, we don't know who's going to play that position for Duke at all this year. And it doesn't take into effect, again, when we talk about expectations, our expectation that we're going to see you know, a great rise on the defensive end and accolades and stuff from Mark Mitchell. You know, Mark Mitchell right. became a guy that was just indispensable down the stretch. And we, we, he sets out one game and we lose that game in the NCAA tournament. But now we're thinking about him with national awards, obviously ACC awards and his defense. How does that shift the algorithm? How does that shift what, what Duke looks like from a defensive standpoint is something that we're looking forward to seeing. I said that. Uh, I, I had the mistake earlier. I said that Duke has Kansas early in the season. Duke's got Michigan State in the Champions Classic, but Michigan State's preseason Ken Palm 13, and then Duke has to travel to Arkansas. So uh, I know we've been talking about these these marquee games that Duke has on the schedule this season in, in somewhat abstract terms. Now, when we look at it, we know Arizona, Ken Palm preseason number six coming to Cameron Indoor in just a few weeks. Duke plays Michigan State on a neutral site at Arkansas, who's a top 15 team. And then that neutral site game against Baylor in New York in, in December, right before Christmas. At, at number nine, Duke has two opportunities early in the season to play teams that are rated ahead of them. So uh, no, like I said, no reason that that Duke can't go out and prove that it's actually even better than its, than its early uh, uh, forecasted ranking and that it actually is closer to where uh, it you know is showing in the AP. Yeah, and by the way, uh, comparing, again, AP to Ken Palm, those four non-conference, those four marquee non-conference games you talked about in the AP poll, Michigan State is number four, Arizona 12, Arkansas 14, Baylor is number 20. So all four of those teams, highly regarded. This is an impressive non-conference slate for Duke, and we are going to be tested early, and that's the way you want to see it. Guys, before we get done with the polling... Don't what? and don't look at the rest of Duke's schedule uh, according to to the polls because the rest of Duke's schedule is trash. Uh, yes, so that's what we're going to talk about now. The ACC, the rest of our conference, which is just plain mediocre to bad in the polls. Uh, let's let's run through it really fast. In the AP, Duke's number two. We knew that. Miami's number thirteen. UNC's number nineteen. UVA comes in number 31. They're sixth among receiving, but also receiving votes, number 31. So only four teams even on the radar for the top 25. Duke, the only team in the top 12 in the country. Pomeroy, oh my gosh, it is even worse on Ken Pomeroy's rankings. Like we said, Duke is number nine. Carolina, UNC 17. Virginia's 33, Miami 45, Clemson 51. It only gets worse from there. I think he has something like four ACC teams outside of the top 100. In Ken Pomeroy's rankings, there are only two ACC teams in the top 30. Five That's outside just, the top 100. Five, oh, five. I, I thought it was four or five. Whatever it is, it is 
a bad number. The ACC looks awful in these preseason rankings. Sam, you alluded to it. Man, conference has got to pick up the slack. And and if you look at that in terms of likely NCAA tournament appearance, Ken Palm thinks that four, maybe five teams from the ACC make the NCAA tournament. So impact on Duke very quickly. The implication there is that Duke really needs to prove itself early in the season against those uh, against those top non-conference opponents, because outside of Carolina, Virginia, Miami, you know, maybe one or two other teams step up, there really aren't quad one opportunities for Duke in the conference schedule this year. I mean, this is it's like Duke is playing in the A-10 and and not in the ACC. And there's going to be a ton of emphasis on those four non-conference games for Duke to prove that it belongs among the elite in college basketball. I, Jason, I, when I, when I look at these, these ratings, I'm, 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 I'm pretty disappointed, but I also uh, am hopeful that the ACC collectively does not perform this poorly uh, the way, the way that it is rated. You would hope uh, given the underperformance of a number of programs last year, I'm looking at you Louisville, that there is a little bit of, of fire under the butts of the uh, various ACC coaches to, to save their jobs and, and get back into contention because it is, it's a brutal look for the conference. Uh, to to be this bad, especially at a time when, you know, the schools are getting picked off to go in other places. I know that the quality of your basketball program is not is not number one, but it certainly can't hurt. And again, the ACC has is going to have their opportunities in the non-conference schedule to show that they're a much better conference than Ken Palm thinks it is, right? We have the ACC-SEC challenge the very first year. The SEC, if you're ranking all the colleges in Kempom, the SEC is number two. It's Big 12, SEC, Big 10, Big East, Pac-12, and then the ACC. So the ACC has a chance. They're going to have, again, over the course of two or three days, a slate of games where they are going to be able to play a conference that is ranked way higher than them and to show, hey, we're as good a team. We have a, 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 a conference as good as any conference in the country, but they have to continue to prove it in the non-conference schedule because, like you said, you want to get some of these guys above that quad one line once you hit January because after that you may not have any very many opportunities for them to go any higher. Yeah, you mentioned the SEC. They have seven teams ranked in the top 20 – or, sorry, top 30 in Ken Palm. The ACC has two. Seven SEC teams, only two in the ACC. Sam? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at, at some of the other – ACC schools schedules for this year. UNC has has about as many opportunities as Duke has to prove itself. They, they've got the battle for Atlantis, but uh, they're also hosting Tennessee and they get UConn on a neutral site as well as uh, playing Kentucky in that in that ACC SEC challenge. So lots of opportunities for Carolina uh, to to bring the conference's rating up, you know, during the non-conference the same time that Duke is. Yeah, although I think, I mean, the way the ACC is going to have a good reputation and the way you're going to get more teams in is not going to be Duke and Carolina, who are in everybody's top 20. It's going to be, you know, Miami, Clemson, NC State, Pittsburgh, Virginia Tech, maybe a Wake Forest or a Florida State. It's going to be those schools elevating themselves, beating the teams that are on their schedules and showing that they are legitimately top 50, top 40 maybe even top 30 teams that would really help the ACC in terms of, you know, quad one games and, and just restoring our reputation as one of the top conferences around. It, it's crazy. It's been about, I guess about four years or so, but 
for the longest time, the ACC was number one or two. And we haven't been anywhere close to that. It's going to take a lot of effort, especially those like mid, those uh, early season tournaments, showing well in those, getting to, you know, semifinals and finals and beating some good teams along the way. But yeah, the ACC, this is the moment that the ACC has. If they want, if they want everyone to start, you know, jotting some of these teams' names down when it comes to March, they got to earn that reputation in November and December. And it's going to take effort from everybody. And like you said, Jason, it's not the, the Dukes and USC's. They kind of write us off when it comes to the conference as a whole. You need to show that, I mean, Syracuse, yo, step it up. Like, again, new coach, you know, new players. We have some We have some teams that have to really show that they're at the top or, you know, close to the top of the heat. And if they don't do that, then it doesn't matter what we do. It's going to bring everybody else down. Miami is not taking advantage of of coming off of a final four season to schedule aggressively. They've got Kentucky and Colorado are like their only two even marginally good games. Georgia is going to be like a borderline NCAA tournament team. And then there's not much else on Miami's schedule. Uh, you look at Clemson, it's kind of a similar story. They've got Alabama and then TCU and Memphis, but most of the rest of their non-conference is also somewhat uninteresting. NC State has chosen to not – uh, schedule aggressively at all. They have to play Tennessee. They always, NC State always has it. Clemson and NC State always have bads. And Syracuse. Those are the three teams that always and Virginia have Virginia Tech. Well, and Virginia Tech, Tech under uh, under Greenberg. Right. right. Lately, Tech. Virginia Tech's been better. Yeah. A lot yeah. of schools a lot, lot of schools choose not to not to schedule aggressively. And look, it's a it's a little bit of like collective failure here that NC State not scheduling well doesn't just reflect poorly on NC State it reflects poorly on the rest of the conference because then there's no opportunities for NC state to prove that they're good. And then, if, you know, on the, on the chance that you lose to NC state, then you look even worse as a result. So uh, I, I don't know what the, what the plan is for, for Nina King to tell all the other athletic directors, like, Hey, schedule some good games, you know, and win them importantly to win them. Yeah. And yeah, actually the biggest, them, but, but you, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. That's what Michael Scott said. So yes, uh, yes but yeah, you can't win these. You can't win these games if you don't play in them. Look, the problem for the ACC lately has been we play Patsies and we lose to them. <laughs> like there have been some embarrassing losses the past couple of years. All right, guys, we're going to put the polling, we're going to put the preseason rankings aside for a moment, and we're going to take a quick break. But after the break, if you missed it, the Duke Blue Devil football team was back in action over the weekend, and they beat the snot out of NC State. That story when the Duke Basketball Roundup continues. Guys, we're back from the break, and it's time to talk a little bit of football. Um, I have said it again and again and again this year. I know that Riley Leonard gets all the headlines. I know that offense is where the glamour is, but this Duke football team is all about the defense. We just throttle teams on defense. That is what we did to NC State over the weekend. 24 to 3 is the final score. It is worth noting that uh, the three points that NC State scored came after a uh, Henry Bielan interception that put them basically in field goal range already. And they got the ball and they proceeded to get zero yards. <laughs> and then they kicked that field goal. That's how good the Duke defense was. Basically, if NC State didn't start already in position to get points, they weren't getting any points. It was a very impressive win by the Blue Devils. 
at least on defense. Uh, Sam, let me come to you first. Tell me a little bit about what you loved from the latest victory that takes the Blue Devils to five and one. And by the way, guys, I'm setting the rule right now. We're not going to discuss Florida State yet. No looking ahead. Not yet. Uh, Doing the recap first. <laughs> let me let me add a few uh, reactions to your introduction to the recap. Yes. One of which, on that field goal by NC State, the other caveat that you neglected to mention is that the NC, NC State kicker hit a 57-yard field goal. That was long. Uh, in, in in a game where I, it, it wasn't raining yet. You got to give them that. You're like, 57? Yeah. All right, at man. a certain point, you got to yeah, you got to clap your hands for that. That like fifty-seven, anyone kicking a fifty-seven-yard field goal, even pros kicking fifty-seven-yard field goals, yep. is impressive. So, and he like he banged it like right through the middle um, and had a few yards to spare. So, uh, hats off to the to the NCC kicker for it turns out keeping them out of the shutout. I will say that I, I don't I didn't look at this game as Duke pounding NC State as much as Duke limiting mistakes in a way that NC State was totally incapable of some of that you might chalk up to to duke being prepared and and being really aggressive on defense i loved the way that duke was was attacking behind the line of scrimmage in this game because nc state basically from the jump was false starting and holding and and offensive pass interferencing their way to to beating themselves you look at the like raw yardage numbers in this game and they're actually fairly even uh both teams obviously trotting out relatively new quarterbacks and and trying to integrate the offense, the, both offenses were were disjointed in this game. Duke gets a few pretty explosive plays. Uh, the first touchdown, uh, a pass from Henry Bielan to Jalen Calhoun, which was very impressive, but otherwise uh, was not representative of the way that Duke's passing attack worked. The nice thing is that Duke's rushing game was good enough, and Duke's defense was great enough to to keep NC State down. I am continually impressed, even in a game like this, in this sloppy game that Duke played, I am impressed by the way that Duke is able to hold its composure in these games. And that, you know, even against Notre Dame, uh, Duke looked completely competent. Like there have been years of Duke football. I, I'm preaching to the choir here. There have been years of Duke football where the team gets behind a little bit and then just looks lost on the field. Uh, that has not happened at all here. I was worried after the the first series where you know Duke goes three and out, Bealum throws the the long interception, NC State gets the field goal, and I thought, oh, this this could get this could get kind of ugly tonight. Uh, that did not turn out to be the case. Duke did commit a bunch of penalties, but not nearly as many as NC State did. And just like in that Clemson game, you know, you look at the final score, it says that it says that you know one team was much better. I don't think that that was actually the case the way it played out on the field, but a huge difference in the amount of composure between the Duke sideline and the NC State sideline. So, Jason, Sam, when you guys talked about the defense, I think we undersold how good this defense has been, not just against NC State, but so far this year. First, let me talk about the game. After that field goal, again, that was the first possession of the game. We, we intercepted. They get to the 38-yard line. They advance zero yards, as you said, Jason, on three plays, and they kick a 57-yard field goal. Again, hat tip to, the, to that kicker. You're, you're, not, you're not stopping that. After that possession, this is what NC State did the rest of the game. Punt, punt, interception, which set up an eight-yard touchdown on the next play for Duke. Punt, punt, we went to halftime. Second half, punt, punt, 
turnover on downs, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. Ladies and gentlemen, defenses don't do that. That that's an incredible display by our defense. And even further, it just goes to show you there's one stat that I've been tracking all year and had to my my friend Jeff Jeff Sheely, he's been providing me this information on ESPN, but this is something that I have never ever thought I would see a Duke team listed on. Have you guys taken a look at the points allowed per game stats? Duke is fourth. Oh baby. Oh baby. Yeah. Tell and yes, Duke is fourth. Tell them who's ahead of Duke. The only three teams. I got ahead. you. I got you. So number one, Michigan Wolverines, go blue, 6.7 points per game. Number two, Penn State, eight points per game. Number three, Ohio State, you know how I feel about them, 9.7 points per game. Number four, your Duke Blue Devils at 9.8 points per game. They are not in good company right now. They're currently among college football royalty when it comes to their defensive stats. And I think it's incredible that we honestly don't have enough time on this podcast to talk about how great this defense has been so far this year. I'm not, I'm going to save everything about moving forward, but I would just want to commend how great they have been so far, because even in previous years, the defense was kind of the team that like, not necessarily let us down, but they were on the field so much that eventually the bend not break strategy just had to break. They, they would find a way the, the team would find a way to the end zone, and then all of a sudden our defense would just be so tired that they couldn't withstand everything the rest of the game. These guys are not tired. They are flying to the football. It seems like there's six, seven guys among around every tackle. They had four sacks. They had an interception, again, which set up a touchdown. These guys are doing it all they, it, in ways. And, again, sometimes it's just, hey, we're just going to get the, their offense off the field so our offense can go to work. And even if our offense has been sputtering and it, and it did – I think on Saturday, we've been kept in games against Notre Dame. Our offense was sluggish. We had a lot of issues on offense, but our defense has kept us in ball games, and our off and our defense has won ball games. And this was no exception. I'm so so proud of how the defense has played so far this year. So we got an email from Matthew Lofton, who sent us an email to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. All of you out there, we love to hear from you. Matthew Lofton sent us an email that included a stat. I mean, it's just, it's like eye-popping. It's crazy. He pointed out that Duke's only allowed 10 points in the third quarter in the last 10 games. That's that's absurd. 10 points in the last 10 games in the third quarter? He pointed out that this year alone, in the six games that Duke has played this year, we've only given up three points in the third quarter. I mean, come on. And that's, that's where you separate. That's where yeah. a lot of times where it's like if it's a close game at halftime. And I think did he mention that we also scored like 97 points or something in those 10 games in the third quarter? Some it's yeah, the, 73, 73. We've outscored 73. Yeah, I knew that I knew it was a, a, the third quarter. Yeah. a big disparity. But uh, that's where you separate, right? There's there's games that are close at halftime that at the start of the fourth quarter are no longer in doubt. And a reason why, again, is our defense has almost taken it as a personal challenge to come out of that locker room and say, the other team is done scoring for today. And so far this year, we've had a couple of big games where the defense has shut out these teams in the second half and made it where a, a game, which could have been not necessarily you know, close, but at least in, in doubt became ones where we could empty the bench in the fourth quarter because our defense took care of business. Uh, yeah. So by the way, this NC state team that only got three points against Duke put up 48 points just a week ago against a fairly good Marshall team. 
I just can't say enough about how impressive I thought Duke's effort was. Uh, and I want to shout out one guy in specific. Did you guys see the, the line on Trey Freeman, linebacker Trey Freeman? He had 15 tackles, <laughs> 15 tackles, of eight solo tackles, Everyone. one and a half ta- tackles for loss. And he was the dude who had the interception. Trey Freeman, 15 tackles and an interception. Have yourself a day, young man. Wow. It was it, it was a cookout. Yeah, Trey Freeman had a great game, but the 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 whole Duke defensive front um, was getting at, like I said was was getting into the NC State backfield, and you know Freeman had a lot of those tackles himself, but but so many guys stepped up for Duke, and and we've seen this week after week that you have to know a lot of names on the Duke defensive front uh, to understand how how impressive they've been and how hard it is for teams to develop anything resembling a strong run game against Duke. All right, let's get to the offense very quickly. And and let's be honest, the, the news is not as good there. Guys, I'm going to go first on this. I had a few things I wanted to mention. Um, there's no question that Henry, Henry Bieland looked really shaky. Four of 12, throwing the ball, that's not very good. Uh, his first possession was awful. The second possession was not much better. And then he had a really nice 21-yard pass to tight end Jeremiah Halsey. Um, Halsey, by the way, who caught a touchdown pass later in the game. Halsey was, you know, Halsey was a linebacker like three or four weeks ago. <laughs> they just moved him to tight end fairly recently. And suddenly he's catching, caught a big 21 yard pass, caught a big TD pass. And, and then after that 21 yard pass to take us out of the shadow of our, of our end zone, um, uh, Beelan executed a really nice pump fake where Jalen Calhoun was doing a, a, a double move and uh, he just ran absolutely free for 69 yards. Uh, Duke was clearly, I thought, Going for the long ball, much more with Balin, uh, with Bielan, sorry, than they did with Riley Leonard, and you know it worked out a couple times, but it didn't work out all the time. Um, the rushing stats, look, I mean, Duke runs for almost 200 yards, but I want to point out those rushing stats are very skewed by that 83-yard run by Jordan Waters. And look, obviously, hat tipped in 83-yard run, huge, but it really skews the stats in a big way. If you take that run out of the out of the mix, he he only ran for 40 yards on 12 carries for an average of 3.3 yards per carry. And for the whole team, if you take that one 83-yard run out, Duke averaged just 3.7 yards per rush. I'm not saying that those are terrible numbers, but it wasn't, you know, Sam, you kind of pointed out, I, I overhyped the degree to which Duke dominated NC State in this game. On offense, we we really, we had a couple big, big plays. We limited state from having big plays. And for the most part, we were just kind of passing our time on offense. It's worth noting in the second half that Bielan only attempted one pass the entire second half. He got sacked one time and he had an incompletion. But for the most part, Duke kind of shut it down in the second half. And like from the middle of the third quarter, after the 83-yard run by Jordan Waters, our next four possessions were just like, you know, three and out three and out five or six plays. And then we just took a knee. Like we didn't do very much on offense at all. I think we realized we didn't need to. It was 24 to three and they were showing, they weren't doing anything against our, our defense, but it Duke's offense is going to have to be better in the future. Sam. I think the good thing about this game is that it was an opportunity for Henry Bielan to, you know, be in a, in a competitive game. We don't know yet what Riley Leonard's status is, for this coming weekend. It sounded like before the game, he was on the field running around a little bit, uh, 
Yeah, know? man, I saw him limping a lot. Every time they took a shot at him, he was limping. I, 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 I doubt. I, I will, it. I look, uh, a shout out to the to the most elite squad in all of college football because uh, Riley Leonard was rocking that Duke equipment hat uh, on the sideline, and uh, only real ones, only the realest, get access. <laughs> to Duke equipment apparel. So you know that Riley Leonard's a good one. Uh, I got to get down there and, and get one of those, one of those new edition uh, Duke equipment hats, but that's beside the point. We don't know if he's playing next week. We assume that he's not until we hear that he is. So this was a great opportunity for Henry Bielen to get, you know, used to, to game speed in a competitive game. He only completes four passes, but I'll say this, Jason, about the, some of the home run shots that he took. I'm glad that, that Duke is working on that because you might as well force the defense to, to worry about the deep ball. We heard before the game that Bieland's got a, it has a much better arm than Riley Leonard does. Doesn't have Leonard's uh, you know, instincts for, for running the football, but I'm very glad that, that the threat is there and I'm glad that it opened. I think it opened up the opportunity for get for Duke to get that one big run and look, Duke could mostly sit on the ball in the second half and let NC state, you know, penalty themselves uh, away this this game. You can't get away with that against Florida State. Florida State is, is much more talented and much more disciplined, but uh, totally fine to have this as the proving ground for Henry Bielen. Duke didn't have to open up the playbook too much, so you don't have to worry about about that. It's not like he he tried to complete all that many throws. So uh, I'm I'm totally fine with this result. If 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 Bielen has to play a few more weeks, and this was what it takes for him to get oriented by all means you know the offense i thought struggled except for sam like you mentioned the big play and when you have an offense that struggles but yet still gets a couple of points the the you know through the long run or the long pass it makes for at least exciting moments where you look back and you kind of go again jason at the top you kind of said we dominated nc state you know why because when you look back at this we overanalyze stuff that's what we that's what we do but the common fan is just going to say, yo, you remember that long bomb to Jalen Calhoun? You remember that long run by, by Waters? Let me tell you guys, when you watched on SportsCenter, those are the only two highlights they showed from that game. So, <laughs> and so when you think about it, they go, Duke torches NC State 24-3 off the back of those things. Those are momentum swings. And again, when you think in their narrative swings, too, because you don't talk about how guys might have struggled on offense. You talk about how the offense was clicking because they were doing these big home run plays that get you on TV, on SportsCenter. Now, you know, you can't, it's not a sustainable way to play offense. And I know those guys are going to be working on how to operate without Riley Leonard in case they do have to moving forward. But I think, again, it's hard to take away and say, you know, Henry Beeline, you know, really struggled because he's thrown into a situation where he probably only had a week and a half to really get things together. And, you know, for first outing, he did enough to get the win. And again, he left us with some, you know, some memorable plays where people can go, hey, let's build off of this and move forward. And again, we're very, again, we're close to, to bowl eligibility. And Sam, like you said, we're close to bowl eligibility and no one cares because we are at a point now where that is just like one of many, you know, milestones that we're aiming for at this point. By the way, I, I consume some of the like national college football recap stuff over the weekend. Very little about Duke, who is still ranked. Uh, so I, I don't know how long that, you know, how long that remains the case. Duke plays Florida State this weekend uh, in primetime on ABC. So uh, will be hard to ignore ignore Duke this week. But lots of talk about, oh, 
you know, before this weekend, it was, oh, what happens if UNC, Louisville, and Florida State all go undefeated in conference? Well, now that's over. Only, you know, only North Carolina and, and, and you know, because because Louisville uh, managed to lose to Pitt this weekend, which is, is somewhat embarrassing. Badly. I, Lost badly, yeah. I say that recognizing that Duke plays both of those teams uh, later <laughs> this season. But, uh, but no talk about it. Like, hey, Duke is still undefeated in conference. I understand it's only two games in, and that they've got the toughest schedule the rest of the way. But, uh, but Duke is still undefeated in conference. So, you know, uh, and I'll mention, yeah, I'll mention, I'll mention that that you know when they set the schedules, the TV schedules for the you know following two weeks, they only did one, and they're holding the Duke Louisville game until next week because I think they want to see how Duke plays this weekend against Florida State before they schedule that one. Because again. It could be in prime time again, uh, you know, against Louisville. So, yeah. Obviously gets no benefit of the doubt when it comes to like, hey, is it worth putting the Blue Devils on national TV? But, you know, Duke is now, Duke is now what? They're ranked like 15th in the country? 16, 16 I believe it was 16. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so 16 versus four next week. Uh, you have to put that in prime time. And then if somehow Duke is able to beat Florida State this weekend, then another top 25 matchup where Duke is going to be ranked even higher. So uh, you, you you can't ignore them forever, but I, I understand uh, to this point. And look, Duke had, well, I guess Duke is one for two so far in, in primetime opportunities this season, right? Uh, beat Clemson in a, in what seemed like kind of a wacky game and then lost to Notre Dame in, in what was one of the most thrilling games of the season. So uh, I don't know. I, I feel good about it. Guys, we, we just gave everyone a little taste we're going to be having much more. We're going to have a full UN, I'm sorry, a full Florida State FSU preview coming up in just a couple of days. We're almost done on this episode. Donald, I know you had one other thing you wanted to bring up. Tell the people about Nina King. Yeah, Nina King was actually uh, got an honor uh, just a few days ago. She was named by women's leaders in sports to their board of directors for uh, the 2023-24 academic year. Women leaders in sports is the nationally recognized membership organization and their mission is to develop connect advance and champion women leaders working in sports so it makes perfect sense for us that nina king friend of the podcast is a member of their board of directors for 2023-24 it's a very very highly prestigious organization and she is going to be helping to again you know figure out ways to continue to champion more women working in sports as leaders of this profession she joins and again, we talk about how the ACC has been, you know, kind of down on the basketball court. Well, they are up on this particular uh, organization because uh, Candace Campbell-Jackson, who is at Syracuse University, and uh, uh, Jennifer Williams, my friend, went to high school with her, but she played basketball at UNC. She is the chief development officer for USA Basketball. They are also two of the new members on the board of directors for this year. So congratulations to everyone, but most especially to Nina King. Uh, continuing once again to show that she is one of the uh, not just the bright stars of the future, but the bright stars of the now uh, in college sports. And her leading our our academic uh, or I'm sorry, our athletic department is something that we should all be uh, considering very, very lucky to continue to have her. I love it. I love it. You love those national accolades. And and Duke has been a real leader in terms of putting women into roles where they can succeed in sports and it's something that we should all all be very proud of nina king has done a bang-up job the most important thing for a athletic director to do is to hire the right coaches nina king hired john shire <laughs> and uh and mike elko and carol austin 
and Carol Lawson in the span yeah. of like a year. Wow. I mean, like, come on. That's ridiculous. <laughs> are we giving are we giving Nina King the credit for hiring John Shire? I guess we have to, but yeah. She but, led that she led that search. So I, I we we may never know uh who, right. who, yeah. who made the call, but uh let's hey, not look. Go. If it, if it was only Kara Lawson and Mike Elko, we'd be singing her praises as well. She's doing a bang-up job, no question about it. That's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 543 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for liking and subscribing. If you haven't liked and subscribed, I'm not going to thank you. No, I'm not, because you need to take action to like and subscribe to this podcast so that we're always in your feed. You get it every time that we uh, put out a new episode because you never know when they're coming. I do think there'll be one coming in a couple of days on Florida State. And there may be one coming before then. You never know. It could happen at any moment. Oh, my gosh. Emergency podcast. I'm Jason. He's Donald. He's Sam. We're being silly now. Don't forget to write to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Here's the Duke band, though, to play us out and take us home. By the way, guys, I looked at uh, Stanford and Cal, our our new members of the conference who are starting next year. Uh, neither one of them got any AP votes. And in Ken Pomeroy, Stanford's number 42, Cal's number 146. Hmm. What, what about, about SMU? Southern Methodist. Oh, I they're, forgot to SMU. Yeah, where? What, uh, hold on. They're 92 in Ken Pomeroy. They're 92, you said? Yeah, they'll be right in the middle of the conference. You gotta pick it up. Like, like, pick like it the up. R geographically now. So um 